Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Just the Facts, the podcast that features candid conversations with your favorite actors and filmmakers. I'm Alex Zane. Welcome to episode 20, featuring the brilliant Joanne Froggart. Were you watching TV on Sunday evening? Did you see Joanne's new show, Angela Black, in which a woman in an abusive relationship discovers a dark secret about her violent husband's past? It's a powerful look at the subject of domestic violence. The reviews are already calling it a compelling and hard-hitting drama that tackles an important subject. We talk about that show and what it was like for Joanne preparing for the role. We also talk about the huge success of Downton Abbey that took her to the stage of the Golden Globes in Hollywood. And we have a right old natter, bringing it back to the UK, about growing up in Yorkshire and where you can find the best fish and chips in the world. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at JTFpod for all the latest details on the show. And remember, you can watch this full interview on our JTF Pod channel on YouTube when it is released this Friday. A quick congratulations to our listeners who correctly guessed my guest this week, Moni H, I am Grout, Joe Frofan, Aaron Seddon, and Gemma D. Well done, all of you. Uh, also, uh, something new. Yeah, we got something new going on. Uh, we have a brand spanking new website, jtfpod.com. And if you head there, 
like right now or soon, you can subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest info on the pod, any live shows we've got coming up and, you know, just become become part of our growing Just The Facts family. If you do like the show and enjoy this interview, please do take the time to rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is a massive help, and we'd love you to do that. That'd be lovely of you. Please do that. Thank you. Right, shall we get into this? Please welcome to Just The Facts, the wonderful Joanne Froggart. Brilliant. I've, I've hit record, so we're, we're, we're doing this now. It's happening. It's happening. How are you, Joanne? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? Yes. Uh, do you know what? I'm pretty good. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm, I'm in London, and you are. Where, where are you in the world right now? Um, I'm in Yorkshire at the moment at my parents' house, yeah. So um, I'm in the middle of the North Yorkshire Moors right now. So uh, I, not too stalkery away. I did a little bit of research, obviously, uh, you know, as a professional. And uh, it's a job. <laughs> it is my job. It is my. It, in fact, you'd be you'd be embarrassed if I hadn't done this research. But we grew up not too <laughs> far from each other because I'm from Leeds originally, and and you're you're not far. You're sort of between Leeds and where I spent a lot of time as a child, or uh, Whitby area in Robin Hood's Bay. Yeah, I didn't know you were from Leeds. Yeah, yep. Leeds, Leeds, born and bred. Um, although weirdly, um, I, I I think last year, no, a couple of years ago, I've now spent longer in London than I have in Leeds. It's London's home for you, though, isn't it? You're just you're just visiting up there. Yeah, yeah. Same same as me. I haven't actually lived um, haven't lived full time in Yorkshire since well, actually since I was thirteen. So quite a long time, <laughs> quite a long time. Um, yeah, I've moved around quite a bit, and then I've been south for ooh, a long time 15 years and a few years in between so yeah yeah all is over nice, is it nice going home though it's lovely it's so nice um my parents place is like I say sort of literally in the middle of the North Yorkshire Moors as well there's you, you can't see another house from their house so it's yeah. um it's really lovely it's really kind of calm and peaceful um I'm just amazed that Obviously, I, I grew up in this house, so but it always ceases. It never ceases to amaze me that every time I go to sleep here as an adult, I can't hear anything. There's just nothing, no noise, and I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah, it's just like there's no one out there. That, that doesn't so, surprise um, yeah. me. I've I've never I, I don't I I think I I may have done before, but I'm just unaware of it. But the 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 place your parents live is actually described on the internet as a hamlet. You you grew up in a hamlet. I did. It's not even a village. It's not even big <laughs> enough to be named a village. We're tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny hamlet. It's even a small hamlet, to be fair. So yeah, I do, I don't really know what that makes us. Just to. A collection of houses spread yeah, okay. out over a very large space. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you still have friends up there, though? Is it like because when I go back to Leeds, unfortunately, a lot of my friends have, have moved away, but there are still some key people from my childhood who I'm like, oh my god, it's nice to see you again, and it is that sort of massive hit of nostalgia in terms of who you grew up with and where you hung out as a kid. Do you have that? <laughs> Yeah, a couple of people. I mean, I went to stage school um, 
down south in Maidenhead in Berkshire when I was 13. So a lot of my close friends that I still have from school are from that school from you know, from sort of age 13 onwards. So, but I do have a couple of, uh, a couple of close friends still in, in the Whitby area that, um, that is, that I always check in with when I'm, when I'm home and it's, it, you know, it's that thing, isn't it? It's so nice because, um, when people have known you sort of all your life, it just makes you feel really grounded and it, there's no, um, you know, it just kind of cuts through everything else. And it's just, it's just the two of you there again. And it's, you know, it's just like it always has been. So nothing really beats that. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I think it's, is it the final line of Stand By Me, the film where it's like, you never have friends like you had when you were 12 years old. And I remember hearing that and going, that's so true. I love that that movie. And it is so true. It's so true. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and also growing up near Whitby, you must have uh, you you were spoiled for fish and chips. That's what I remember about being a kid and going to Whitby was just some of the best fish and chips I'd ever eaten. I mean, I am a little bit biased, but I th- think they may be the best fish and chips in the world. I don't <laughs> want to cause you know an argument about this, but you know, I think I, I think in my opinion they're the best in the world. I had them this week. I do have this one thing I do have to do every time I come home. I do have to have fish and chips at least once. Yeah. <laughs> And you you mentioned sort of like thirteen, like going to um, going to theatre school at thirteen, which is like it's, it's, it seems like a young age. But before we get to that part, had you you must have realised. But at what point did you realise then that you wanted to act? Because you must have been quite set that look, I, this is what I want to do at a surprisingly young age. Yeah, it's um, it's all I ever can remember wanting to do, really. Um, I just used to watch a lot of movies with my brother who's four years older than me. And, um, you know, when I was really, really little and, um, I just always wanted to be on the telly having all these adventures. I didn't even really know what it was at the time, but even from the age of sort of four, I'd, Oh God, this is embarrassing. I don't know I'm saying this, but I've started. So, um, but I used to stand in front of the television and pretend I was on television and think my brother would, would believe that I was actually on the TV. I wasn't a smart child, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but he was older. So I don't, I just had this sort of fascination with this, this place in this, inside this box where you could go to all these different worlds and times and have all these crazy adventures. And I knew they weren't all real, but I was too young to sort of process what, what that was and that you could do that as a job. So I always had this sort of fascination with it. And, um, and then, yeah, as I sort of grew up and, realized you could do that as a job I thought well that's what I want to do I want to I want to do that and live all these different lives and you know be all these different people and that was so we were we were children at roughly the same time so that would have been the 80s uh, movies that were released in the 80s a, a great decade for cinema great decade for cinema I totally agree yeah were there movies from that period that stick in in your mind even now, because even I mean, I, one that I remember distinctly, and this is because it was on TV in the 80s, not because it was an 80s film, but by the time I got to watch it on TV, it had been out a few years, which uh, is Jaws. Uh, and I, I'm still to this day surprised that I was allowed to watch it by my mum. But I, it, it is the reason that I, I, I'm sitting here interviewing you, because it's the reason I love, you know, the medium of film and and TV and like the, the, this experience of watching it late night, I think it was on ITV, just stuck with me because um, it horrified me. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, well, the same with me, and because my brother's four years older than me, and um, you know, we grew up on a on a farm. My parents had their own business before moving to the farm, so my parents always worked from home, so they were always around. And my brother was stuck with kind of keeping an eye on the younger sister a lot of the time while mum and dad worked. So they were there, but they were busy. So you know, we that's why we'd watch so many movies, and I watched a lot of slightly inappropriate movies for my age because my brother was eight and I was sort of four. Um, so yeah, Jaws. Oh. God, I still I still look over my shoulder every time I'm in a swimming pool on my own. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, I get you. I get you. I'm still like, oh, is anything like more? I'm fine. Um, and uh, yeah, Jaws, Gremlins. Oh, like that movie. Watch, I still watch it every Christmas. Um, and then my brother was massively into Tom Cruise, which I, I was as well. So Top Gun. And I must have seen about 500 times Cocktail, all of those, all of those kind of movies as well. Um, Stand by Me, another one, um, Pretty Woman. Although I had to, I had to hide that from my parents because I wasn't allowed to watch that. So um, <laughs> why? Because says because she played a sex worker, or because it was a little bit naughty. She played a sex, no, because she played a sex worker. Right, um, right. But they were quite happy to let me watch American Werewolf in London. So, so <laughs> that was apparently fun. So there we go. Great parenting skills, mum and dad. Thanks. <laughs> but, uh, it's, but yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You sort of go. I, I think a lot of parents are like that. It's like absolutely nothing that is anyway related to sex. But if you know someone gets torn to shreds by a werewolf and you, and you see it as well on screen, that's fine because it's horror is okay. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to you know, harm your ethics. <laughs> <laughs> so was there was there a performance you saw in one of these films i um or was it just a general experience of watching films that made you go this is the moment where i go from just enjoying performing in front of the tv to actually going i, I want to actually make something like this there was actually again another film which was inappropriate for my age to be watching i was about eight years old and um, I was at my grand at my grandparents' house, my mum's mum and dad in uh, near Sheffield, staying for the holidays. And um, whatever happened to Baby Jane was on. Oh um, wow! Uh, yeah, and uh, my grandma recorded it, and um, she said, "Oh, this is a fantastic movie. We must watch this movie." And so we watched it, and I because she'd recorded <laughs> it on VHS. That's how long it was. I just, I, I was just mesmerized by these two, you know, horrific female characters that were just kind of well, <laughs> horrific to each other. And this, I'd never, because the movies I'd watched before, had, you know, The Slipper and the Rose, the version of Cinderella, like all, you know, all the 80s stuff or whatever. It was all kind of quite fantasy and stuff. And this was real, really kind of like visceral nastiness between these two women. And I just became obsessed with it. And my whole stay there for the, for the next two weeks, I watched it every day for two weeks. <laughs> and uh, and I was just like st- sat in front of the TV with my mouth open like every day going, wow, what is this? And I wonder if I can do this. Like, And um, that's definitely a moment that I or I remember or a, a film that was pivotal in me kind of seeing seeing a performance for the first time or kind of maybe starting to understand what a performance was and um and how you could really have fun being all these you know different characters whether they'd be nice or not and I'd also not seen women behave badly like Mm. that before in terms of my reference point because I was a child and I was like oh this is much more interesting than the Cinderella story (laughs) wow 
I mean, that's an amazing that's an amazing movie to set you on this career path because it's it's not what you'd expect at all. I would not have guessed that if you did. <laughs> I could not have put money on it being whatever happened to Baby Jane. Amazing. So you saw that, and then and then you know, was it a case of you know, as soon as you could, you wanted to you know, for want of a better cliche, go out and see that the bright lights of the big city and and, and be in a location where you could explore that. Because again, 13 seems like quite a young age to sort of up sticks. I'm assuming it was a boarding school that you were studying at. Um, well, it was, it wasn't a boarding school, but I boarded with a woman who worked for the school because it was five, it's like a five hour drive from where I, where my parents are or where I lived at the time. Um, so it kind of just, um, it just kind of came about sort of as a snowball effect, really, because I started um, secondary school when I was 11 and the head teacher at my secondary school in Whitby, David Bradley, was uh, really into drama and he started an out of school drama group, which I started to go to called Rounders. And there was an affiliation between that and the theatre in the round, Alan Aitbourne's Theatre in Scarborough. Um, so we did drama group, which I loved. And then through doing that, I think I think our drama teacher mentioned the stage newspaper one day, mm. um, which I heard had auditions in it. So in my 11 year old brain, I was like, I'm going to get the stage. I'm going to get this audition. I'm going to be a big movie star or whatever. <laughs> and, um, so my, my parents um, uh, ordered it for me from the uh, from the local news agents. So they used to order it in for me every month. And um I'm sure they were quite embarrassed about that but anyway they did and um uh, so and then when I was looking through the stage it, there were you know there are auditions but a lot of them were sort of dancers on cruise ships or you know not really appropriate for somebody of 11 um and uh, but in there I saw adverts for stage schools and I just were, my eyes sort of popped open and I was like wow that's it that's what I want to do and obviously I had visions of fame and everything else in my head and I'd be you know dancing around and leg warmers and whatever and um so I said to my parents this is why I, I want to go to stage school this is what I want to do and I think because they they knew I was quite single-minded they didn't want to say no because they thought it would make me more determined to, to do it so they just said okay fine well we're not helping you but you carry on with it then if that's what you want to do so I did and I wrote off to quite a few I think very off to six stage schools and just wrote you know a letter and um, got prospectuses from the moor and I read through them and Red Roofs Theatre School, which is the one I went to, was the, the the one that sounded a little bit more homely and sort of friendly in their sort of information pack. And so I said to my parents, I want to go to this one. And they said, um, OK, well, carry on. <laughs> and so I wrote off and then I got in um, and then I got in. Um, when I, you know, I got offered a place at the school and then my parents were like, oh God, now what are we going to do? Because it's, you know, there's school fees and there's boarding fees and they couldn't afford to pay for both. So then I started on a process of, um, which my parents did step, step in at that point and help me along the way. And me and my dad wrote letters to the local council and, um, they didn't have grants for people my age, which was sort of 12 at the time, because why would you? Um, but in it's sort of we went back and forth with them for a few months and then in the end I auditioned for the council and they created a grant for me which covered the school fees and then my parents covered the boarding fees so the whole process to, from me having the first idea to actually getting to the school took just over two years and then I actually got there when I was 13. 
Wow. I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's it's incredible that you were that determined at what age 11 to go, look, even if you're not going to help me, mum, dad, I'm, I'm going to write these letters myself. I'm going to find out everything. We're going to get the prospectuses. It sounds like you were prepared for the, the career that lies ahead because you often, as someone who isn't an actor, you do often hear about the the, the necessary self-belief and commitment to it and to take the hard knocks that come with rejection and then just get back on your feet and audition again. It sounds like you, you kind of had that mindset built in from a very young age. I mean, I guess so. Maybe I think it was just maybe just part of my personality naturally, but my parents always brought me and my brother up to... Um, you know, to have a go at things in life. My my parents had very different career careers all through their lives. You know, it was my dad's dream to have a small holding and move to a farm one day, which we did. And every, all their friends and family thought they were absolutely crackers for doing that. So, um, you know, they just said, it's your life, you have to live it. So so I just was always brought up with, with that sort of mindset. So I just thought, well, why? I always thought, why can't I, you know? which in hindsight was a really great thing my parents instilled in me because the sort of, well, if, if that person can, why can't I? It's actually, you know, really a really good, it's a really good sort of mindset to have. In, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it at the time, I guess. No, it's it's brilliant because I mean I guess the other uh, the other angle is you know you get the whole Billy Elliot kind of thing where they're like, no, Joanne, we're farmers. You're going to be a farmer too, <laughs> like us. You're going to milk the sheep. And you're gonna like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah. I. I so Red Roof's Theatre School. I'm right in thinking this. It's quite a, a, along with yourself. There's a, some fair few um uh, uh talented alumni that came came out of um of uh, that school. There's a, like you said, like I said, yourself. Uh, Chris Marshall, I think, was there. Um, Kate Winslet. I, I think I'm right in thinking that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't. Neither of them were there when I was there, but but we all went. We all went there. Yeah. And was it kind of fun then, um, being being at this school at that age, at age thirteen? Was it sort of like a, an enjoyable thing to be around people? Because I think it's quite rare. Normally, when you're you're thirteen, I think most people would be you know a comprehensive school or whatever kind of school, but they'd be around people with diverse interests. Was it more fun to be around people who all had the same kind of dream? Or was it kind of a little bit competitive because you all kind of knew at some point you might end up going for the same jobs or, you know, you were trying for the same uh, success in the same field? Yeah, well, I mean, my experience of it was just wonderful. I know, you know, really like like with any situation or school or place of education or place of work, it really depends on people that you end up with, which often you don't have any control over. Um, so there was only seven of us in our class and, um, and I'm still best friends with all of them today. And a couple of the girls that were in the class below, one girl I lived with and, um, they're like my second family. And we were just this, um, we were this real sort of hodgepodge of kids really. And I guess because we were such a small group and we were in our teenage years, we were all very different personalities and actually all wanted to do different things in the industry. Um, sort of, I guess, half the class wanted to, to be dancers. A couple of the girls were very much had amazing uh, vocals and 
uh, wanted to go into musical theatre or um, singing as a career. And I was, I think I was actually the only one who wanted to do just acting. I mean, I'm practically tone deaf, so the singing was definitely out. Um, <laughs> um, dancing, you know, I, I can kind of do it, but I, I was, uh, I used to enjoy, I loved my, I loved doing dance classes, but um, I was never good enough to be professional. And it was always acting that I wanted to do. So, um so yeah, it was a kind of like it was it was a great time actually because I worked I think so much harder than I possibly would have done at a normal comprehensive because we used to do our um, academic lessons in the morning and our vocational lessons in the afternoon, so we had less time on the academic and more homework. But I because re- I know I knew what sacrifices my parents were making to give me the opportunity. I worked my little socks off and um, you know I worked hard at school I, I always spent so much time on my homework I still got really good GCSEs even though you were only doing sort of half the school day on academics um and I just really wanted to be there you know I just really really and, and I loved it um so my experience of it I mean me and my friends always say to each other how lucky we are that we've got this you know this tight friendship group that we've mm. known each other for Dare I say it, 27 years now. Um, so, um, and we just, you know, there's not, that that doesn't happen very often. And I think it was because we were such a small class. I think if we were in a class of like 30, you know, or in a year of 100, 100 kids in, in separate classes, maybe we wouldn't have all been friends because we actually were quite different personalities. But because we were all sort of lumped together, we really formed strong bonds, which was great. And going on from, um, from theatre school, do you remember... Uh, the first TV gig you landed, like as in, was it, was that, I, I guess, the, we want you for this, like a big moment in your career, or was it just sort of part and parcel of the journey that you were on? No, absolutely was a big moment. Um, not necessarily for my, well, it's, it was the start, actually. It did snowball into the next job and everything else, but I was still at stage school and, um, I remember it so well. I, I auditioned and got got a role on in one episode of The Bill, and I was playing an underage sex worker in the episode. And um, I remember <laughs> calling my parents. Like I was, uh-huh. I was over the moon. It was a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Because like lots of the kids got um, adverts and bits and pieces, and I hadn't ever got. I'd been on auditions with the school because there was an agency alongside, and I'd never sort of landed a little advert or anything. And I was always a bit like, mm, I never seem to. And then I got sort of a proper acting role, um, but in my head was just, you know, unbelievable. I remember going to the phone box. Um, God, I'm really showing my age now. Going to the phone box, um, calling my parents and were like, and was like, oh my God, guess what? I'm going to be an underage sex worker in the film. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, we're so proud of you. This is what you've been working for. <laughs> we we wish we'd let you watch Pretty all. Woman. We should have let you watch Pretty Woman. It would have been research. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Um, but it was. God, I the moon with it. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I imagine it, it, it's always a big moment. And um, that, that first role you land. I mean, sort of to, to bring us more up to speed, because obviously I want to talk to you about... Um, Angela Black, but before we get to that, I mean, I, I think it's it's fair to say one of the roles that uh, you're very well known for was because it was um, a phenomenal series, but it was also a, a, a role 
within that series that I think audiences really fell in love with. Uh, so I'm obviously talking about Downton Abbey, but I, I do think Anna, your character, um, was something of a breakout star from that series in so much as people really loved her and her story. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, thank you. Um, I loved playing her. I think, um, I think what was special about Anna was her relationship with Mr. Bates, as in, I think it was Anna and Bates together mm. that people fell in love with. And me and Brendan were so pleasantly surprised by how much people got in, got on board with their relationship from, from the off, because it was very much when the series first started, it was very much the sort of Mary and Matthew upstairs and sort of Anna and Bates downstairs. So we f- felt we were the sort of less glamorous sort of couple, <laughs> um, you know, downstairs because we're, we're playing the servants. Um, so we didn't expect people to sort of get on board with their um, sort of, you know, with, with their relationship and their, their trials and tribulations as much as as they did. But I think I think people really connected with um, Anna and Bates's relationship as this sort of slow burn. Both both characters had such strong moral codes and such strong values. And in that way, that's actually, you know quite a rare thing as we all know and so in that way they were just so perfect for each other and they came across so many um obstacles that needed to be overcome I think you know the audiences just kept rooting for them and it was sort of their love grew from this real respect for each other and this sort of friendship and 
you know, they couldn't be together. And then you're like, please be together. And so it was, it was, it was just wonderful to see how people got behind them. And and Anna was a character as well. And obviously everything that she went through. And when I first got the role, I, um, I love, I mean, I just loved Anna and I really wanted to play her. And f- at that point it was a character, the sort of character that I'd not really played before. Cause she was just kind of, you know, a really good person. And really lovely and the kind of person you would want as a best friend you know that she'd be so loyal and she'd always have your back and so I wanted to find like a real strength to her as well because I because actually I think it does take a real strength to be able to um be that kind of person I think Mm -hmm. in some ways you have to be a much stronger person than if you're going to follow the crowd or you know or kind of you know maybe not have such a strict moral code so I didn't want her to be this sort of saccharine, sweet, wish you or she person. I wanted her to have like a strength of character. So, um, so I was so pleased when when people connected with her because I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of fell in love with her a little bit. She's definitely someone I'd have as a friend. <laughs> and do correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the three Emmy nominations and and one Golden Globe win uh, for uh, your performance uh, as Anna. That's that's kind of a, a, a big deal. Um, how much of a big deal was it for you? Is it just, is it just window dressing or is it actually like freaking hell? I've won a golden globe. Um, it was a huge deal. It was yeah. an absolutely huge deal. I just, I, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's bizarre. Cause as I say, it's not something you think about on a day-to-day basis. Like not, none of us do, do we? We don't sit here and think about our achievements or the things we've done wrong in life. You just kind of hopefully looking at today and tomorrow and moving forward. Um, but whenever I sort of stop to talk about it, or, um, it does bring back all those emotions of just kind of, wow. I remember the first year that Downton was nominated at the Emmys and um, Michelle Dockery and myself went over for the week and we sort of cadged the extra tickets and we went as the producer and the director's plus ones. And because <laughs> we kind of like planned it between us, we were like, should we go to Michelle's auntie and Aunt, Aunt Trish, I'll give her a name check, lives in LA. And um, she said, we can stay with Aunt Trish. Let's go. And I was like, I was going, I was like, let's do it. So we flew ourselves over. We did our own hair and makeup and stuff. We got hair and makeup for the actual big Emmy event, but all the pre-parties, we borrowed clothes. We switched clothes with each other. We just t- totally went for it. And I remember us, and we had an absolute blast, like going to all these uh, kind of events that we we just, we hadn't had any of th- those kind of experiences before, those big American award shows. And um, I remember us both sitting there in the audience really far back with our team and, um, Lovely Elizabeth McGovern was nominated uh, for for performance that that first year, so she was down the front. And I remember me and Michelle looking at each other and me saying, "Oh my goodness, imagine what Elizabeth must be feeling right now. She must have her heart in her mouth. How amazing would that be to be <laughs> personally nominated by heart?" And then cut to the following year, me and Michelle both have personal nominations as well, and so we just we just couldn't believe our luck, you know. And and that, but nothing. We always say nothing or quite match that first experience when we were there sort of not feel not quite feeling like we had the 
like we should be yet you know mm. um and then being able to go back the following year and just be like wow where we're here again but this time it's official you know um and it was it they were they were magical times they really were they were magical experiences and I think it happened at a time in my life and a time in my career where I'd been working for 12 years before I did Downton and I was really glad it came when it did because I was at um a mindset about things where I thought wow I must I must make sure I enjoy these moments I must make the most of them like I must take all this in and 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 yeah, just just enjoy it because it may never happen again. And what an incredible experience to have in your life. Um, and the actual Golden Globe win was just, I mean, it was just, it was just a fairy tale. I still, when I talk about it, I still just remember this hit of kind of adrenaline of um <laughs> and they sort of say my name and I'm clapping away thinking they said someone else's name. And then it sort of dawns on me that it was my name and I just was just, I mean, for once in my life, I was lost the words. And um, yeah, I just thought I've got to go to the stage. I've got to go to the stage. Uh, that, and, and that was it. And then I came off stage and I was just, it was possibly the most surreal moment of my life, but one of the most magical. And yeah, it was just a fairy tale. Do, do you because I, I, I've, I've covered both the Globes and, and the Oscars for, for Sky over the years and and I just always wonder what what are you seeing the crowd? Are the lights too bright? Can you see faces of people who you like grew up watching you? Then there you are, and I'm on stage. And uh, I, or is it is it kind of just like a blur? No, you can see everyone. <laughs> so you walk past, and also where we work is the because um, the TV um, sort of awards tables are always further back than the movie ones because obviously like you've got your a-list of movie stars at the front and you know they're sort of more on camera for the ceremony so you have to you know from from our table from the dance table I had to walk through like it was it it felt like it took me 10 years to get to the stage and I'm walking past like everybody I've ever seen in every movie just thinking this isn't happening this this is happening (laughs) this is actually happening and you have to stand up there and you have to speak hopefully eloquently and and yeah no it's it's not like being in the theater where you know the audience are in darkness you can see everybody everybody and it is the most surreal it was the most surreal and wonderful experience and you know what everyone was so kind and um lovely and encouraging and you know met lots of people before and afterwards who were just so yeah just just so encouraging and and friendly and made it a really it felt like a really warm room to be in I did I do have to say because it it was it was already a was it already a success in the states at that point it, it sort of landed big in, in the US. Yeah, yeah. By that point, it was sort of a fully yeah we were a fully fledged success in the US by season four. Yeah. And when it came to an end, and you sort of look back along that journey, I, well, I guess did you know when when the series ended, well, the sixth series came to an end, um. Were you aware at that point that there was the, the there was the potential for a movie, or had it been like, or did you think this is this is it? I'm saying goodbye to uh, to this this huge part of my life. We did know that they um, they being the producers and Julian Fellows, our writer, um, we did know that that they wanted to, they hoped that a movie could happen. Um, excuse me, taking a drink of water. Um, but we weren't, we weren't sure. You never are in this business. You don't know what's happening from one minute to the next. So, um, but we knew there was, there was the, um, 
the intention of that, which was which was great. And I think everybody was um, absolutely on board for that. I think the show as a series, I think we finished at the right time. I feel like, you know, we left on a high still, um, which is where you want to be. You don't want to sort of keep going and going and going until it sort of loses all, all its quality. So I think it was sort of a perfect choice, really. Um, and um, yeah, so we had that, you know, two or three years in between finishing filming the series and, and starting to shoot the first movie. And um and again, who could have known the first movie would have been such a success? I mean, obviously, we, you know, we knew that the audience would be fans of the show. So mm. there's a there's a, a big, you know, there's a big fan base and that, that should be great. But um, I mean, the movie surpassed everybody's expectations that because it's it's that thing of like, well, people love watching it when it's on TV. But are they going to yeah. bother to leave their homes and get in a car and go to the cinema and pay for their ticket and and do all of that? And my, my goodness, they did in their droves. So that was so um, incredible. It just was like, wow, what a what a joy that was to to sort of um, be a part of that as well. It's sort of one of the most one of the biggest movies of the year and the biggest yep. movie focused features that's ever produced and <laughs> all biggest box office in terms of revenue and yeah I mean we were just like wow it's you know they've, they've it's, managed to do it again <laughs> it's I mean it's it's wonderful to see something that you know is a, a staple of uh of uh, Sunday night drama uh and then well it was pushing 200 million pounds at the at the the box office something something incredible like that yeah, yeah, it was. It was just over two hundred million, I think, at the box office, which is it's crazy, isn't it? It's yeah. crazy, but fantastic. But it, Thank you, everyone that yes. wants to see it. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, enough to uh, enough um, uh, success. I mean, I, I'm sure when, when you, you when uh, the, the 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 accountants are counting the 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 dollars that have rolled in, they're already going. So uh, the sequel, and sure enough, um, we we are getting a sequel. Um, the the new era downtown abbey the new era am i am i right in thinking that that's what uh, that's what i think it's called um out next year are you, have you finished shooting it i don't want to pressure you into saying something and having uh, old fellows on the phone going what have you said but um but i would love to know where you are with it yes we have uh we finished shooting it's going to be out in march time i think um Obviously, I can't tell you anything about it, yeah. um, but there is wondering what I can say without saying giving too much away and getting into trouble. <laughs> there is a, another. There is a visit to the house which causes a lot of um, a lot of excitement, I would say, mm-hmm. and some un, and some unsettlement. And there is a a trip abroad. Dot dot dot. Watch this space. <laughs> That's all I'll I can do say. <laughs> That'll do me. Look, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm a fan. I mean, I, I remember it was Julian Fellows and his writing that actually got me into period dramas because, I, you know, I'm a bit, I was a bit sniffy about it because, you know, I grew up watching sci-fi and horror and I'm like, oh, period dramas. And then I, it was, it was uh, his, um, it was actually the script he won the Oscar for, Gosford Park, the, the Robert Altman movie that I ended up watching and going, and going, okay, this is a, this is a period drama and, and I'm in, I'm into it in a big way. Yeah, it's such a fantastic movie. And that's where, you know, I'm sure it's obvious, but that's where Downton came from. Gareth Neem, our exec producer, um, approached Julian and said, what do you feel about doing Gosford Park for television, basically? And mm. he, I think Julian was like, oh, not really thought about that. And and that's that's literally how Downton was born. So 
Well, that makes that makes sense. I, I I'm I'm a fan of both. But let's talk now um, about uh, uh, your new series. Um, I think I'm okay to say it's coming out in October. I'm going to leave it at that for the moment. When I introduce you at the top of the show and I record that, I'm sure they'll have a firm date. But I'm I'm just going to roll the dice with October right now, and it's called Angela it's Black. October, yeah. It is October. Yeah. You. Yes, I can confirm it's October. I can confirm it's October. Great stuff. Um, so, uh, backstory-wise, this is created by the, the same team that you worked with on Liar, Harry and Jack Williams. Um, and uh, that that was a, a huge hit, Liar. I um, I did I did my uh, due diligence. The figures for Liar, like sort of around 9 million, that's incredible in this day and age of, you know, streaming services, all the what have yous, you know, and, and suddenly you're looking at a, a viewership of that. That's pretty cool, huh? It was, yeah, it was incredible. Um, it was just, uh, again, that was, that was, well, you can never expect these things. I thought it was, you know, I knew it was a really going to be a really great show, but I was so, we were all so thrilled when people connected with it as they did. And, you know, that's really down to, to Jack and Harry's writing and they, they write thrillers and drama so well but they write these sort of cliffhanger moments and edge of your seat stuff and but also you know ground their shows in something sort of deeper or certainly you know certainly the ones that I've done with them and there's there's often an underlying subject matter go sort of through note through, through the whole through the whole thing so you know first and foremost it's a piece of entertainment but I love the way they almost they almost bury a really important subject matter in there. So people are sort of connecting with it without even realizing. Mm. And I just find that really impressive that, that they can do that. And I'm, I'm not sure how they do, but they do. <laughs> kind of like a, a Trojan horse of a series. You are, you're, you're sort of buying into it because you're like, Oh, great. I'll watch a thriller, but actually there's quite an important message buried within it. Yeah, exactly. And obviously with Lyre, it was, you know, the, the, the issue of consent and um, sexual assault and the sort of lack of, um, um, you know, the, the lack of conviction rates. And yeah, but, but for, as I say, first and foremost, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant thriller and they've, they've gone and done it again with Angela Black, in my opinion. I read the mm. first three episodes and I just could not put it down. And so Angela Black is um, a thriller with, you know, the underlying, the based on the topic of, of domestic abuse or based around that subject matter mm. it stems from from that situation um but it's a very different beast to liar in every way the character is very very different the sort of the way the story moves is is very different liar was very much sort of this one big catalyst event that happens at the beginning and then things spiral from there Whereas for Angela and, and and Laura, my character in Liar, very much had a voice, knew her voice, was used to being listened to, was used to being respected. And, you know, was this anger came up inside her because she um, she for the first time in her life probably found herself not being listened to, not being believed, not being respected, not being understood. Um, whereas Angela is a very different character in terms of she's we meet her when she's tr she's still trying to find her voice and she's still trying to find that fight in her. And um, from the outside, she looks like she has the most perfect life, you know, handsome husband, gorgeous home, two beautiful children, um, volunteers in a dog home, in a dog's home, 
nice clothes, nice car, or, you know, the whole package. But obviously what's going on behind closed doors is very, very different. And um, then she meets um, a private investigator who gives her some more information about her husband, who she knows to be a dangerous man. And things spiral from there. So she sort of finds out one bit of information, then another bit, then another bit. So it's a much more sort of Hitchcockian style kind Mm. of unravelling, which I loved. Um, And our director, Craig Viveris, did an incredible job at really pulling that out and, you know, giving it a real, making it look look kind of cool as well you know from an aesthetic point of view um so yeah I'm really excited about it I can't wait for people to see it and see see how they react to it uh, it does look it does look cool and uh, for the record I, I, I've seen it uh, someone very kindly sent me the first step just the first episode uh, so if you do want to pass on scripts two and three I'm, I'm happy to read them because it's one of those things that, that comes with the, the territory of this job I'm just like man I'm just I've watched one episode and now I'm like Come on, when is when is when do I get to watch episode two October? That's not fair because it is one of those shows that you immediately go. But no, <laughs> I can't. I need more. I need this story to continue immediately. But I'd love to know what your reaction was when you read the script. So you sent uh, the first three episodes, and I imagine it comes with a question at that point: Do you want to play this this character? Are you interested, having read the scripts, in in playing her? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was fortunate enough, obviously, that I've worked with Jack and Harry before. And um, so they'd, uh, they'd written the first three episodes of Angela Black and they sent them to me um, to, yeah, to read for interest and said, you know, we'd, we'd love you to to play Angela if it's something you'd, you'd be interested in. And um, as I said, I started reading and I just couldn't stop. I mean, I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I read all three back to back just in one sitting, which I don't usually do. Mm. Um, so I just like you, I just wanted to know what happens next. <laughs> and the story gets it, I mean, I can't say anything because there's so much, you know, has to unravel, but my goodness, it just goes, the story really just flies. And you you just go, I mean, the twists and turns in it are incredible and kept me guessing. And I was sat there going, no, no. And I literally kind of vocalising my reaction, sat on my own reading the script. I thought, okay, this must be good because I'm actually talking to myself. So, um, (laughs) um, so yeah, so that was it. I was like, yes, yes, please. Yes, I'd love to play her. Thank you very much. (laughs) And 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 so when you, when you get a script, what makes... Uh, what is it that you're looking for in a script that puts it on the the yes pile or the interested pile, let's say, compared to it going on the no, absolutely not pile? And is there are there things in it that you are keen to do? Because like the example you just used between Laura and Liar and Angela and Angela Black is the fact that you're dealing on the one hand with a character who has a voice and a character who has yet to find her voice. And is it that difference that makes a, a role exciting to you? Because you're like, this is very different to what I've just done. So it it it, ha, it includes in in it really new interesting challenges for me as an actor. Yeah, it's it's exactly that really. I mean, first and foremost, it it always comes down to if it's a page turner. You know, I think you mm. usually know by the first, certainly by the first ten pages if something's hooked you in. You know, and if it hasn't by then, I always read the full script, but you kind of know it's not going to. You know. Um, but then also there's there's other things to consider. So it's, you know, the team behind 
it, who's going to be directing it. But first and foremost, it's it's it, for me, it comes down to the script, the story. And also, is it exactly that? Is it a character I really want to play? Is it something I've not done before? Is it something I've not done for a while? Is it just something completely fresh and new? And I love the um, the versatility of my job. And that's what keeps it interesting for me. I love doing different things and different characters. And that's what I find really fun about it. Um, and sort of creating these different, you know, characters and personalities and stuff. Um so yeah so it's very much very much that and I when I took on Angela Black I mean I didn't I didn't have any concerns about any similarities to Liar actually because the script and the character were written so differently Mm. but I also said like I need to look different I need to this you know there's lots and, and also I needed to build a very very different kind of character and I feel like we we managed to do that without anyone I don't think anyone's going to sit there and go, oh, that's the that same actress that's worked with those same writers. I'm yeah. hoping that, that that doesn't, you know, cross over, which I'm sure it won't. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, as as you've mentioned already, it's powerful stuff. I mean, the the, the opening is, uh, is, it's it's not easy to watch, uh, which you'd imagine uh, in a series that deals with domestic abuse, uh, it, it shouldn't be easy to watch, but it is, um, it's powerful stuff. And um, McKeel, um, Huisman, um, I believe it's pronounced. I hope I haven't got that wrong. He plays your husband in it, who I, you know I recognise from Game of Thrones. I'm sure a lot of people will. What's it like working uh, with him? Uh, first of all, as sort of a, as a, as a co-star in something like this, but I guess also when you're dealing with subject matter like this, because it's a, a, it's a terrifying performance he gives, and uh, as it should be. But it, it must. It, is there a different skill set that comes with approaching something? that is as intense as the relationship that you have with him? Yeah, I mean, McKeel was just brilliant. Um, he He's just a really lovely guy and really easy to work with. And we both, um, I think we both came into this really passionate about the project and McKeel really wanted to play the role um, because he often doesn't get to play the you know, in, in crude terms, the bad guy, you know, mm. um, and, but psychologically it's a really kind of interesting thing to take on as an actor. So he was really passionate about doing this and and there was a lot of, you know, back and forth with dates and he, we, you know, we, we all had to really make it work and, and he himself had to sort of be away from the family a bit longer than he'd wanted to and bring the family over. And there was no, there was lots, lots of um, cogs happening, turning to make it possible that he could come and play the role. So um, we were all thrilled when it worked out and we, um, we both just, which is always makes life easy. We both just had the same mindset. You know, I think when you're taking on um, a project that is, you know, that has got a a sensitive subject matter at the heart of it, it just, um, it just means we all have, or I certainly feel an extra responsibility to do the best job I can. And McKeel absolutely felt the same. And we really wanted to get, you know, we'd both done a lot of research and we really wanted to get their relationship feeling really real. And this sort of power play between the two and between the two of them that, after, you know, we women's aid were really fantastic and helped uh, not only Jack and Harry in during the script process, the script writing process, but also McKeel and I during our research process. And um, one of the counsellors and advisors that we spoke to said that there's often this sort of power shift between an abusive relationship so say in our case the man's the abuser the abuser the woman's the abused 
Um, so the abused is abused. And then um, the abuser then goes into the sort of cycle of the sorry and the trying to make up for it. And then the abuse sort of feels like they have the upper hand for a really short space of time, although they, they never really do. But psychologically, it feels like they do. And then when they accept the abuser back into the relationship, the whole cycle kind of starts all over again. And it's just this. Mm. And so we wanted to get to sort of, you know, weave that into the relationship and we wanted to make both the characters obviously as as three-dimensional as possible and have those moments where hopefully you could see oh god if only he wasn't abusive they could have been really happy together you know Mm, I mean it was you know as crude as crude to say it but the moments of charm and everything because nobody falls for somebody because they're horrible to them all the time nobody Mm. falls for somebody because they abuse them constantly you know you fall for somebody because that behavior develops over a time once the feelings and, and the love has been built so you know we wanted to really um try and weave that in underneath you know the scenes we were playing together and um so hopefully hopefully we did that i i, I mean based on the first episode alone i i think you did there's a, a a couple of uh of very big moments in there uh i think you said it earlier like real like what moments and that's just the first episode so so yeah i'm excited uh, to see the rest of angela black um while I've got you, I do want to ask you about another movie uh, that you were in, um, just because it's. I, I remember giving this movie five stars uh, when it came out um, because I've never been um, smacked around the face quite as much by a cinematic experience, and that's uh, director John Bird's movie, Filth. Yeah, I knew you were going to. Say, I knew you were going to say that when you said "smack around the face" by a movie. Absolutely, <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, I loved that experience. It was so good. I mean, you know, I only played a small role in Filth, but John S. Baird is, you know, super talented director. I love his vision. Super down to earth guy as well. Just a great, great guy to work with. And James McAvoy. I mean, he's just that. I mean, he is just out. I mean, he's outstanding in everything, but. I mean, filth, he blows my mind. His and working with him on set. And again, James is one of the most loveliest guys you'll ever work with, just such a great human. And um I remember being on set with him on that movie, and um he had to do some, you know, as you know, some really like extreme shifts of emotion. Oh, yeah. And um there were some scenes where he had to be really upset and stuff. And, and there was a scene, I remember there was a scene we did in the supermarket and I, my character bumps into him with her child and he's really in, in pieces and she's sort of saying, are you okay? And he's very much not okay. Um, and we were just waiting to go on set and, you know, sat on, sat around the corner and having a chat about whatever the day. And then he's like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, cool. So then we go on set and, and he just literally like, just like flips a switch and this emotion just comes out of him. And I was like, I mean, it just made my job really easy because I was just <laughs> reacting to him. And I was just like, wow. I was just like, James, how do you do that so easily? He's so sort of emotionally um, available. I was just like, that, that was impressive. <laughs> that was impressive. Um, so yeah, it was, it was such a great experience. I love Irving Welsh as well. So for mm. me to be in, in a movie based on my first novels was a bit of a dream come true, I have to say. And John S. Baird is, yeah, he's just one of the, I think he's one of our brightest talents really. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I met him at the, um, 
the Stan and Ollie premiere. Uh, and um, I was, uh, I just, I, I saw that's such a tender, sweet movie. And I was like, oh my God, I, the last time we spoke, you just directed Filth. And it's just weird putting this movie and that movie next to each other as, as your work. But yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's very, also very versatile. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, the one thing that I wanted to say before I say goodbye is uh, thank you. I think really. Oh no, that was it. I just remembered it while I was uh, while I was uh, riffing there. I was like, there was something I was just going to say. Did you and James um, exchange uh, war stories? Because I think both your debut TV appearances were on the bill. His first TV appearance was on the bill, and I think so was yours. Oh really? I didn't know James's first first roles on the bill we we actually worked together when I was we must have both I, I think James is around the same age as me I think I was 21 and we did a we did a show called Lorna Dune together well we did an adaptation of Lorna Dune on BBC um and that was James is not long out of drama school I think and that was like sort of a very early on I think it was his, I don't know one of his first jobs and obviously not the first but um but yeah so no I didn't know he did the bill I have to ask you about that next time we bump into each other <laughs> Um, yes, we should uh, we should do this again sometime. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think the last time I we saw each other was 2016, a street cat named Bob, the premier yes. of Curzon Mayfair. Was that it? That's right. That's right. It would have been, yeah, absolutely. Long time, it feels like. A long time. Doesn't it? I mean, everything that has happened between then and now, it feels like, you know, a decade ago, sort of even being at a premiere with crowds, with crowds like pouring over the barriers and all the rest of it. It seems like a long time ago. It really does feel like a different world, doesn't it? Absolutely. But thanks for having me on, Alex. An absolute pleasure, Joanne. And uh, thank you again. And um, good luck with Angela Black. uh, It looks like it's going to be another big hit. Thank you. Thanks very much. Fingers crossed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip to the Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. <laughs>